interviewing uh, my brother, who's a missionary in Thailand. It's a little bit different than normal. Uh, he's never done anything like this before. But the reason is, my desire, my hope is, that you will see that regular people uh, go to the mission field. Regular people take the call to take the gospel overseas to other cultures and other contexts. Um, I know that because I grew up, you know, boxing him, fighting him. So I know regular people uh, go to the mission field. But a lot of times we see somebody up here and we go, man, that is a great story. Go get them. And, uh, and I hope that you'll see that, that regular people go, go to, to the mission field. He's bigger than me, but I took him every time. I, that's what they're saying. I took him every time. Anyway, uh, so that'll be, that'll be next week. Well, this week, I'm excited about what God's, uh, God has to share with us. It's something that has been building for actually years. Um, in our family and in, in my life and in the life of Mary Jo, uh, we've just been kind of uh, juggling around, digging into God's Word, seeing what He has to say about the topic that we're going to be on, on today, that we're going to be looking at today. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be all over the place, but we're going to really anchor in or start in, build a foundation in uh, Matthew 28. And then I'll just share the other uh, verses on the screen. But Matthew 28 is where we're going to start. It's a verse that probably everybody knows, whether you grew up in church or not. You'll recognize this, these verses that we're going to start in this morning. When we first got married, Mary Jo uh, said something that was peculiar to me. It was actually really weird to me, I thought, at the time. She said, Scott, I am looking forward to living in a neighborhood. I thought, I grew up in a neighborhood. That's... I, that's weird. You don't do look forward to living in a neighborhood. That's just what you do. Well, she didn't grow up in a neighborhood. She just grew up on a little bit of land, and so she uh, she they knew their their neighbors. They knew they knew them, but they didn't interact with them on an everyday or every week basis. And so she said, "I'm looking forward to, to living in a neighborhood." And like I said, that was that was my experience growing up, knowing our neighbors. We take food over to them, uh, that sort of thing. But she was looking forward to that. Well, we got married, moved to Fort Worth, Texas, where I was going to school. And we were living in, a, in an apartment. That was the first place that we lived. And after living there a few months, there was a neighbor that, that, that moved in across the, the hall from us. And I came home first. I had class that day. Came home first. I said hi to them. I introduced myself and then walked into our apartment. A couple hours later, Mary Jo comes home from, from school where she was teaching. And um, she says, hey, did you, did you realize, did you meet the people that are moving in across the, the hall from us? I said, yeah, I met them, introduced myself, came on in. She said, yeah, they're, they're great. Um, she is from so-and-so, and he is, uh, he's moved here because he has a job at such and such place. And it sounded like she would spent quite a bit of time over there just hanging out and getting to know our new neighbors across the hall from us. And I, I, I thought, well, that's kind of strange, but now I understand why she wanted to live in a neighborhood. And that has continued all throughout our marriage, uh, whether it was in Burleson or Austin, uh, in, in multiple places in Austin, a couple, couple different houses. And then here, we lived in our, the house that we live in, we've lived there for six and a half years. And we have made a point to get to know our neighbors, so much so that in the first service this morning, uh, Dawn Oney, who lives right across the street from us, um, uh, was, was here. And she calls Wellspring Home, has for, for months now. But, but it all started when we made this effort, this, this conscious effort, to get to know the people that we live around uh, and build relationships with them, invite them over to our house. And now Don comes regularly over to our house to have, to have dinner with us. And as a result of this passion that Mary Jo really brought, um, I, I have been digging into God's Word, seeing what He has to say about it. What does He have to say about loving our neighbors? What does He have to say about getting to know the people that we work with? We talk about this regularly. Here, but what does that God's word have to say about it? 
And, and every time I, I would dig into God's word and look and see, what does God have to say about our neighbors? Getting to know our neighbors, inviting them to our, to our house. What does God have to say about that? In his word, I always would come back to one word. It, it, I would always come back to one particular word. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, eventually. But first, we've got to build a foundation to get there. And we'll do that in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. Jesus is talking. Here's what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to, to me. Now, we've got to stop right there because that's a lot of power. That's a lot of authority. Anytime somebody makes this claim, all authority, every single bit of authority on heaven or in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Anytime somebody makes that claim, you got to listen to what they say afterwards, especially if it's true. And we know that this is a truth claim. Jesus says, all authority is mine. Here's how he follows that up. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, there's a debate about what Jesus means exactly there in the go, therefore. And I actually believe that, that both are true. There's two different camps. Two different views of, of what Jesus means in this text. And I think he's, I think both are true. I think it's one of those things where you, there's a disagreement, but if you kind of pull back, you see that they're both talking about the same thing. One group, one camp says that Jesus is telling us that we're supposed to pack up our stuff, sell our house, sell our, 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 our car, sell our furniture, pack up our, our bags, and then go across cultures overseas to take the gospel, to make disciples there. And I think, yes, that's exactly what Jesus means for some. I think that's exactly what he means. And I, you know I'm passionate about this. We talk about this regularly. Every single day, I pray, God, I pray that you would take people and, and, and you would take them, you would send them, you would, you would compel them to go and take the good news of the gospel to people that have never heard your name before. And start with Wellspring. Lord, I pray that you would raise people up from this body, from this church, to take the gospel overseas to people that have never heard your name before. And if you want to start with me, God, you want to start with our family, where we will go. We will obey. So that's exactly what I think Jesus means. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. There are going to be some, but not everybody. And that's why the other camp, I think, is right, too. They say, they, they say, no, no, that's not what Jesus was saying. He didn't mean for everybody to go, and obviously that's not true. No, he means as you are going. In other words, every single one of us, 7 billion people walking this earth, are, are, are going somewhere. Going to work, going to their home, going to, to get gas in their car, going to, to pick up food, going to the, the grocery store. And as you go, you are to make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of people that you come across. People that you run into. Your neighbors. Those in, your, in the wing of your, of your office building, those in your classroom, as you go, you are to make disciples of the people that God puts in your path. And I think that's exactly what this verse means as well. As we are going, wherever it is he sends us, we are people called on mission, pushing back darkness, taking the gospel to people that we come in contact. And so I think both are true. And I think Jesus is talking about both of them. And so this morning, as we look, as we are going, as we are going to the, to the marketplace, as we are going to our neighborhoods, as we are going home, we are to take the gospel with us, living our lives on mission for the sake of something greater than 
ourselves. I put in my, in my notes. So, so what is God's plan then for the Great Commission? What is God's plan to take the gospel to the nations? What's the, God's plan to take the gospel to southwest Missouri and southeast Kansas? Kansas? What is his plan for that? And the answer is you and me. We are his plan. We're his first plan. His second plan, he will accomplish it. But he invites us to be a part of what he is up to. Pushing the darkness back and bringing good news, the light of Christ to a people that we come in contact with. Some that have never heard his name before in some context. And others that have heard his name but maybe have a distorted view of who he is and what he's about. We're his plan to take the gospel to people that are headed towards eternity without it. So I put in my notes, yes, you and I, people on mission, have been uniquely gifted, specifically placed, and uniquely uh, a, a place for unique conversations. You and I, so, so what this looks like, this, this, this life lived on mission, taking the gospel wherever we go, being, being conduits of, of God's grace wherever we go, that this looks like people who are lived on mission, using unique gifts, Place specifically for unique conversations. That's my outline as we move forward. We have been uniquely gifted in specific places for unique conversations. Living life on mission for the sake and the glory of his name. Number one is this. We have been uniquely gifted. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. You can write it down. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. What is our unformed substance? What does he mean when he says, your eyes saw my unformed substance? Well, that means that, that, that's talking about who you are, what makes you unique, what makes you, you. Every time I do a funeral, especially with people that don't know Christ, uh, that do know Christ, that are believers, I'll say, I'll say their body is here, but they're not here. Like they're not here. Their body is here, but they're not here. Why? Because their unformed substance, what made them them, is not here anymore. It's in eternity, and that's what this, this verse is talking about. Our unformed substance is, is your unique gifts, your unique personality. It's what makes you you. And the Bible says that God was at work. Forming your unformed substance, making you, gifting you, and giving you a personality that is unique to you. It's what makes you, you. And then God used, uses that for the sake of the glory of his name. Some, of, some people in our church, awesome salesmen. I mean, they, they can just they can sell water to a well. They show up with, 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 with whatever it is they're selling, and you're just throwing money at them. They're so good at what they do. They're just salesmen. There are other people that are in the, the medical field. God gave them the, the, the ability to, to remember things and, and to help people. And, and they just did well in school. They got into medical school or PA school, whatever. And God has given them this gift. They're uniquely gifted. It never ceases to amaze me how unique each and every person is. If you, if you uh, are raised, or have raised or are raising more than one kid, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, it never ceases to amaze me that kids that are born to the same mom and dad in the same structure, same rules, uh, same, same schools, I mean, same everything, could turn out so differently. And yet it happens over and over and over again in our house. My oldest, nine years old, Grayson, talk about him all the time. He has a unique uh, gifting, 
different from his sister. I mean, Grayson loves people. He, just test me on this. Find him after the service. He will talk your ear off. And it doesn't matter who you are. He will talk your ear off. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were on the airplane coming back from, from the East Coast um, visiting family. And um, we were running a little bit late. And so we were one of the last ones on the plane. And Grayson stops and talks to people in almost every row. Like he's just talking to people. We get back to our room, or back to our row, our, our seat in the back of the airplane, and he said, "Scott, did you, did, or Dad, did you see that guy?" No, Scott. Dad, sometimes he does call me Scott. But he that. Anyway, um, uh, Dad, did you see what, what that guy was uh, was holding? That little contraption that that guy had five rows in front of us. And I go, "No, Grace, I was looking for my seat." And he goes, "You know, he, he stops and he talks to. He'll talk to anybody. He has a gifting, uniquely gifted." so very different from his younger sister. Molly Kate, she'll walk by you and not say a word and never think twice of it. And it's just like a gift. I'm just going to walk past people and I'm going to feel good about it. And she's just different. But she's fearless. Fearless. A couple weeks ago, we were on the Elk River floating down the river. Don't judge me, but we were with some friends and, and, and we were floating down the Elk River and um, uh, uh, a guy in our group he gets out. There's a, a, a a bridge, about 15 feet off the water, gets out, jumps down, it's a dad, and Molly Kate says, Dad, I want to do that. I said, no way. You're four years old. She kept begging. And finally I said, yeah, you can do it. There's not a chance that you'll do that. She gets out of the boat, so we climb up these rocks, we get to the, to the uh, uh, bridge, and she looks at me, and I said, yeah, you can do it. And she puts her feet over the edge, and I thought, oh my goodness, she's going. <laughs> and she's about to jump, 15 feet, four years old. And she jumps off. Her nine-year-old brother wouldn't do it until he saw his four-year-old sister do it first. <laughs> Serious. She's just fearless. And they're both raised in the same structure, in the same house, with the same guidelines. And they are so very different. So it is with you and your house. You're gifted, specially gifted, crafted, given unique gifts by the creator. But they don't, it doesn't terminate. You, uh, on that gifting. You don't, you don't make the sale for the sake of the sale. No, you're doing it to honor the one who gave you the gift. You don't, you don't take uh, people into your practice. If you're a doctor or, 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 or a PA or, or, or a, a teacher or an administrator, you don't welcome people into your classroom or into the room and it terminates. That work terminates right there. No, you're using that gift for the glory and the renown of his name, pushing back darkness for the sake and the glory and the reign of his name. Obviously, within parameters that have been given. I'm not asking you to, in uh, God's word, even more importantly, it's not asking you to break rules, but, but you are teaching for a purpose because you've been uniquely gifted by God. That's the first thing. You carry unique gifts, and they've been given by God. All I know how to do is talk, and that's not false humility. Like, that's all I know how to do. If I work with my hands, I mean, it's going to be... It's going to be square. It's going to be jacked up like a patty pole. I just can't do it. I can't do it. But the giftings that I have been given are to be used for the glory and the renown of his name. And the gifts that you've been given, whatever they are, are for a purpose. They've been given to you for a purpose. It's the glory and the renown of his name. Living lives on mission. But not only has he uniquely gifted you, secondly... Uh, he has placed you within a specific time and place. He has put you in a, here in southwest Missouri, southeast Kansas at a specific time. And you are where you work. 
you're where you live. Uh, you're, you're at a specific place for a purpose. And you can see how these begin to, to fit all together. Uh, I, I, uh, Acts 17, Andy Stanley said, it is no accident you are where you are. It is no accident you are where you are. He got that from Acts 17, verse 26. You can write it down. It says, he, uh, for he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Did you catch that? Having determined allotted periods and boundaries. In other words, you're here for a purpose at this particular time. The house that you live in is, is not an accident. Boundaries in, of their dwelling place. Verse 27. That they, may, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. That last line there, he's not actually not far from each one of us, is not talking about the omnipresence of God. We know that's true. But that's not what this is talking about. No, what he's saying is that he is not far from every single one person because you are there. So, so the people, the, 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 the kids in your classroom, if you're a teacher or an administrator, they're not far from God. Why? Because you're there. If you're a doctor, your patients are not far from God. Why? Or a nurse, your, your patients are not far from God. Why? Because you're there. Your neighbors are not far from God. Why? Because you live in that neighborhood. That changes everything about the way that we see our house. It changes everything about the way that we get ready to go to work in the morning. You are living this life on mission for the sake and the glory of his name. And the people that you come in contact with are not far from God because you are there. Like I said, this, you, you begin to see how this all fits together. You have unique giftings. And that really determines, those giftings really determine the neighborhood that you live in, the job that you have. And so, so some of you, like I said, some of you are gifted uh, with, with selling. Some of you are gifted in, in the medical field. Some of you are gifted with your hands. And that determines in many respects what kind of job you have based on your gifting. And then the job that you have de determines or, 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 or is set, um, uh, uh, the job that you have sets the, the income that you make. And then the income that you make determines what neighborhood you live in. And you see how these begin to all be connected together. Some of you have awesome, great giftings. And then you have great jobs because of it. And then you make a great salary because of the job that you have. And then you live in a, in a house that I would never be able to pay for. I show up with my 98 Mazda and your neighbors think I'm staking out their house probably. <laughs> like I just don't belong there. And so your gifting is for a purpose. And some of you, you go, well, my gifting is not monetarily, it doesn't, it doesn't pay me as well as other people. And that's, a per, that's for a, a distinct purpose as well. You, you have the job that you have. You have the giftings that you have. It gets you a certain job. It will make a certain pay. Uh, uh, um, you're in a certain pay grade. That determines the house that you live in. And your neighbors are not far from God. Why? Because you're there. changes everything about the way that you look at your life. The job that you had, it's not an accident. The job that you, you, you really, really wanted but you didn't get, that's not an accident either. The house that you live in is not an accident. The house that fell through that you were looking so forward to living in, that's not an accident. You have been placed at a, at a specific time in 2017 in a specific place to push back darkness. 
You are the tool that God is using to make his name known in the areas that he has placed you. In your, in your cubicle, in your, in your uh, uh, group, in your classroom, in your neighborhood. It changes everything. Well, he's gifted us specially. He's placed us in a specific time, in a specific place. That's not an accident. And it leads to unique conversations. It leads to unique conversations. And this is the, the heart of really, really where I wanted to head this morning. These conversations are called hospitality. God uses people living on mission, using their gifts where they are to reach people through hospitality. In our culture, Martha Stewart has kind of hijacked this word. <laughs> when we think of hospitality, we think of getting our house ready for the seasons. Like fall's rolling in a little earlier this year. We've got to get, get the pumpkins out, get the hay out, that sort of thing. And that's going to happen at Smith House. You hear Mary Jo laughing. It's going to happen. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Like I'm all for it. But that's not what biblical hospitality is. Biblical hospitality is actually a compound word. And it comes from uh, the compound word of love and stranger. Hospitality has its origin, its roots in love for outsiders. People you don't know. When I was studying this week, more than one person that I came across said this. As America becomes more hostile to Christianity, hospitality, welcoming strangers into our homes, will be the primary way to share the gospel. This shouldn't surprise us because uh, another pastor that I came across, Chad Ashby, said it has been God's heart, it has been Christ's plan. Through our, uh, since the beginning of the church to advance his kingdom through dinner tables. Let me say that again. It has been Christ's plan since the beginning of the church to advance his kingdom through dinner tables. And you see this all throughout the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8, verse 8 through 10. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. I could go on and on and on. Romans 12. We have been commanded, commissioned to live our lives on, uh, for a purpose. Commissioned, living our lives on mission for the sake of the gospel. Using our gifts. Using our, our personality. Understand that we've been placed at a specific time, in a specific place, to have unique conversations, to show hospitality to outsiders, to show hospitality to strangers. This really coalesced a few months ago when Mary Jo came across a book called The Turquoise Tape. It's a lady in Austin. She took this command to be hospitable to strangers seriously. I could share with you her story, but we'll just watch it.
kitchen or in the minivan. I am active in the kids' school. I'm a writer and I volunteer at church. We've been in this neighborhood uh, almost 10 years. I always knew we were supposed to love our neighbors because that's the great commandment. But how you live that out day to day is hard, um, especially when you don't know your neighbors, which is the situation I was in. I did not know my neighbors. Sure, I knew, you know, a handful of them. And so there was this huge questioning, what do you want me to do, Lord? Here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to walk across the street and bang on doors? Do you want me to take cookies? What do you want me to do, Lord? God answers prayers in really winsome ways. I was hosting a party with a friend in our backyard, and I didn't have any tables. And so I ordered a picnic table from Lowe's. And when it arrived two days later, I knew. I knew that for the purposes of the party, I was going to have it in my backyard. But as soon as that party was over, I was moving that table in the front yard, and it was going to be a gathering place. And so I painted it turquoise, which is my favorite color, and I did. I put it outside, underneath the tree, in the front yard. I, it was awkward at first. I have this table, it's bright turquoise, it's sitting in the front yard, and now I'm like, well, now what do I do? So I took a whole bunch of stuff out with me. I took my phone and my journal and my computer, and I even um, I had some art stuff that I was working on, because, you know, I needed to look like I was just doing something. Like going out front and saying to God, Here I am, Lord, your will be done. Go before, behind, and beside me into the neighborhood. And that very day, life changed. And I met a neighbor within three hours of putting a table out in my front yard. A lot has happened since putting the table out there. There are a handful of women who are now very close friends who I did not know. It has become kind of a gathering place. I'm Bob. This is my daughter, Peggy. <laughs> so one of the best things is just the sense of normal community, everyday life. When the neighborhood kids come over, they'll do homework when the weather's pretty. We've had lemonade stands, hot cocoa stands. More intimately, um, it's a place where I can meet and have met neighbors um, who now pop by with coffee and just for 15 minutes, a cup, you do a conversation over coffee that wouldn't have happened. If the Lord has taught me and I am learning to be present, and that, it sounds like it should be a no-brainer, but listening is not a skill that came naturally at first to me, nor was being present. It's great to see you here. Loving my neighbors has taught me how to love God better. It's drawn me into deeper relationship with Him. You don't need permission or a program to go out and sigh and be who Christ has called you to be. When we open up our front door and we take three steps right out our front yard, good things happen. Open up your door and let God do the rest. Introverts are going, it's not going to happen, <laughs> But the Bible doesn't say if you're extroverted, be hospitable. Some of the guys are going, I'm not sitting at a turquoise table. <laughs> but the Bible doesn't say, ladies, be hospitable. 
this is uh, an action step or a, or a chance to apply this. We're going to give you that book. When you walk out, every family, every household can have that book if you want it. And then if, if you do want to, the action step to be at the table, go buy the table and we'll deliver it to you. If that, that works in your context, you just let us know next week, hey, I read the book, I want the table, and we'll deliver it to you. But that's not going to work in everybody's context. I get that. If it doesn't work in your context, that's fine. The command is still the same. Be hospitable to people who are on the outside, to strangers, to people that you don't know. The command is still the same. Just after last service, a lady came up. She said, we bought a house in January. We have this, we have this big porch. It's a screened-in porch. She gave me the dimensions. Huge. I can't even remember exactly, but I thought, man, that's huge. She said, God's got to use that for me to be, for, for, uh, has got to use that. For hospitality. Another, another young man came up. He said, I, I have a group of friends in, in uh, uh, this, this rock, rock and roll kind of uh, community. He said that very antagonistic to believers, very antagonistic to Christians. Most of their experiences are, are negative when it comes to the church and Christians. I got to be hospitable to them. I said, yeah, a turquoise table is not going to work, but the command is the same. To welcome outsiders. And to love them. And love them well. The question is, why on earth should we be hospitable? I mean, sure, the Bible commands it. I get that. But why should we be hospitable? That's an easy one. Because God's been hospitable to us. If you know Christ this morning, he's been hospitable to you. The Bible says that while we were enemies of God, while we were opposed to God, when we were on the outside, he sent his son to die for us. When we didn't love God, he loved us. And he sent his son to die for us, to, to spread his arms and his, to see his blood spilled out for you and for me. He was hospitable to us. Wooing us, inviting us, come Come, come, I want a relationship, I want a relationship, I want a relationship. And then when we respond by faith, he invites us in. He was hospitable to us. And the only response is to turn around and be hospitable to those that God has put in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our classrooms, in our office spaces, in the marketplace, we respond with hospitality. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that we would be a hospitable people. In whatever context that works itself out in, we would be known for our hospitality. Living our lives on mission for the sake and the glory of your name. Pushing back darkness and inviting light to invade. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. You're dismissed.